listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Midtown. This is our sermon series on the Gospel of Luke. Merry Christmas Eve and peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and you may be seated. Well, peace be with you. My name is Jamal. If you're a first-time guest, I'm one of the pastors here, and we are so thankful that you would spend Christmas Eve with us. So Merry Christmas Eve, and we pray that a word would be sung or spoken that will enrich your life in Christ Jesus. I pray with me. Our gracious Father, we thank you for this opportunity to just be in your presence with other people and to celebrate the incarnation of Jesus. 
Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just breathe upon this time. I pray, Father God, that you would help us to be present in this moment. I pray, Lord, that you would exalt your son, Jesus Christ, through the preaching and the receiving of your word. Even now. Lord, have your way. Not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. Make us a bush aglow. In Jesus' name, amen. I was struck by this quote uh, in reading this week by Matthew Henry. He says this of Jesus. He well knew how unwilling we are to be meanly lodged, clothed, or fed, how we desire to have our children decorated and indulge, how apt the poor are to envy the rich and how prone the rich to disdain the poor. But when we by faith view the Son of God being made man and lying in a manger, our vanity, ambition, and envy are checked. This is a time of year where it's time to give and to receive gifts. And that's something we should praise God for. We should lean in. We should celebrate because giving of gifts is is a way to love people. For God so loved the world that he gave. But in the giving of gifts and in this time of the year, may we also meditate on the incarnation of Jesus. And may we remember that the life of Jesus and the way in which he came to earth was lowly. It was meager. It was rustic. It was unseen. It was uncomfortable. It was unrehearsed. It was, it was raw. And often during Christmas, we talk about glory to God in the highest, as the angels are going to say. That is, glorify God in the highest heavens. The angels are going to cry out, angels in heaven, worship God with me. Give God glory with me. But as we look at this text, we're also going to see, and our hearts are going to cry out, glory to God in the lowest. Not just in the highest heaven, but in the barn in the manger, in the stable where the Son of God laid his head for the first time. And so this Christmas, I want to invite you all to this. This is the main point. The sermon in a nutshell simply says this, give glory to God in the lowest because he is at work in unexpected ways and unexpected places. Give glory to God in the lowest because he is at work in unexpected ways and unexpected places. And and I just want to spend this time uh, helping us to look back on this year and to see the lowest places and speaking to those who may be in a low place today and encourage you, even though you are in a low place this Christmas, you can give glory to God. And you do that three ways. The first way is by remembering and marveling at the providence of God. That is, that that God is always at work. And second, by remembering the poverty of Christ, 
That is, that God works in mysterious, lowly ways and lowly places. And third, we want to remember the praise of Christ. No matter where we find ourselves, whether we are in the high places or in the valleys, because of the purpose of Christ, we can praise God. Because God has broken into this present evil age and he has placed his favor upon his people and given us a promise that everything will be okay. So let's look at this first point that the providence of God. We read in verse two, we're used to story starting a long, long time ago or once upon a time, but we see that Luke writes, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. If you're a Christian and you're reading these words or you're Jewish and you're reading the words Caesar Augustus, there's going to be a dark gloomy crowd that's going to cover your heart and your mind. Caesar Augustus was born Gaius Octavius, and he was the son of Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar was brutally betrayed and murdered by Brutus. And afterwards, there came a a major civil war in Rome. At the end of the civil war, and when everything was settled and the dust cleared, Gaius Octavius, who was Julius Caesar's son, was the sole ruler of Rome. And not only was he the sole ruler of Rome, but he turned Rome, which was a republic, into an empire. And he became the first emperor of Rome. And he ran his campaign as the emperor of Rome based on a couple of principles. And one of those principles and promises was, was that Rome was going to be essentially a powerhouse. And that eventually he promised that there would be a long-standing time of political peace and prosperity for the people of Rome. It didn't take Gaius long to to start making due on those promises. And the people of Rome began to love him deeply. And the Senate of Rome began to celebrate him. In fact, September 23rd was his birthday. And the Senate of Rome declared his birthday the, the start or the new start of the new year. They changed Gaius Octavius' name to Caesar Augustus which is more of a title than a name. Essentially, he means the emperor majestic. There were inscriptions that were found in which they were dedicated to Caesar Augustus, and and they read like this. One inscription said, the birthday of the god Augustus marked the beginning of good news for the world. Another ancient inscription says this. It says, Caesar Augustus is the savior of the world. So when we read verse one and it says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. We want to understand that this is a powerful man who essentially has a presence in Rome of a God. And when he snaps his fingers, stuff moves, stuff gets done. When Caesar speaks, 
Everybody listens. And that's where we come to in verse 4. It says that Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of the line of David. Caesar Augustus snaps his fingers, and it has a ripple effect on Joseph and Mary. It, it causes them to now make a 80-plus mile journey if they go through Samaria to go back to Joseph's homeland of Bethlehem in order to, to register. And while it seems like Caesar Augustus is the savior of the world, while it seems like he is the most powerful person at work, we ought not to forget in this text the secret sovereignty of God. That behind Caesar Augustus' heart, behind his decree, is a sovereign Lord who is working out every detail of his plan. That even as Caesar snaps his finger and things start to happen, that behind the movement is a God who so loved the world. That behind the movement is a God who is not only sending forth his son, but a God who is orchestrating all of these small minor details that we have today. And Micah, Chapter 5, verse 2 through 4, this is prophesied of the coming Messiah, but you, Bethlehem, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old. From ancient times, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Little does Caesar Augustus know that with the Pax Romana, with this call of peace, with this political power, with the, the change of, of language, which will make it easier for the gospel to spread, with the Roman rose, which will make the world, which was so large, seem even smaller, that God was at work, that he was doing all of this according to his will and his plan so that this prophecy will come true, that his Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, which is the city of David, because his Messiah is from the lineage of David. And Joseph is his earthly father. And we have to remind ourselves that God is always in control. Even this Christmas, as we read the political headlines, that, that nothing is outside of his reign. Proverbs 21 and 1 says, The king's heart is like channeled water in the Lord's hand. He turns it well, where, whichever way he wills. God is sovereign. God's providential power overcomes the power of the world. But now I want you to imagine if you are Joseph and Mary, you have received this divine interruption on your life. You're looking forward to your wedding day and suddenly an angel appears and says, Mary is about to have a baby. The Holy Spirit will overshadow her even though she is without knowing a man. 
and your life is turned upside down. But by faith, you say, Lord, whatever you will, so be it. And suddenly you hear that this senseless census is put into effect. And now where your life is already harder, where people are already asking questions, you have to make an 80-mile journey to Bethlehem. And Mary and Joseph, they're poor. We're going to see in Luke chapter 2, verse 24, when it's time for them to give an offering in the temple, they can't give a regular offering like a lamb and a dove. They give two doves because they're too poor to have a lamb. And so now they've got to make this journey. They've got to make this trip. It's an added burden. And oh, and by the way, she's eight or nine months pregnant. She might not even have a donkey. They, they may be so poor that they have to go by foot and she feels every bump, every twist, every turn in the road. And if they went through Samaria, it may even mean that they are putting their lives at risk. This is a dark place. This is a lowly place. This this, this should make sense. It, it doesn't make sense. Why would God put his people through so much when all they're trying to do is, is obey him and do his will? And some of you, you felt that, that pressure this year. This has been a bumpy year for some of us. This has been a dark year. There's been moments in 2023 when you just ask, Lord, what are you doing with my life? Why is life so hard? Why is life always life? And can I just get a break? All I want to do is do your will. And this text reminds us that in those dark places, In those places where we are obeying by faith, when we are getting out of bed by faith, when getting out of bed is is a struggle, but we do so that God is present, that God in his providence is not only present, but God is working all things together for your good and his glory. Some of us, even today, we are sitting in shame. We are amid a shame tsunami. Some of us, we are in the middle of an anxiety earthquake as Christmas is here because of dashed dreams or hopes or we weren't able to do what we wanted to do for family and for friends. And I'm here to remind you that God is not just glorified in the highest. He is glorified in the lowest and he knows every detail of your life. Hear me when I say as present as Jesus was in and with Mary, if you are in Christ, Jesus is present with you. Not only must we remember the providence of God this Christmas, we must remember the the poverty of Christ. Look at this text. Luke writes it here with a great economy of style. He says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped them in cloths and placed them in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over the flock. Oftentimes when we think of Christmas, we think of the commercialized version that we are 
used to. We imagine this nativity scene in a very sentimental way. We see smiling cows and oxen, the indirect lighting just perfectly hitting Mary and Joseph. The barn is so clean. There's so much light. But as we read this, we see that the birth of Jesus was anything but. We're only given a few details. We're only told that she gave birth to him and that he was wrapped tightly in cloth, that he was laid in a manger, probably in an animal's feeding trough. There's no mention of doctors. There's no mention of midwives. There's no mention of smiling cows. Oh, the birth of Jesus is rough and rustic. It's humble and it's lowly. The incarnation reminds us that the savior of the world was born into extreme poverty. The story that we have in the Bible is a, a teenage mom and an ordinary dad who barely had two pennies to rub together. Joseph, Joseph isn't powerful. He's not like Caesar Augustus who snaps his finger and things happen. He goes back to his homeland and there is no, no hero's fanfare. There seems to not be room for anyone to take him in. And so the question that we have to, to ask ourselves is, is as we look at every detail of the birth of Christ, as we see the poverty, the, the obscurity, we, we have to ask ourselves why? Why would God allow his son to be born in such a, a meager way? Why would God allow his servants to suffer so much while doing his will to give birth to the Messiah? Where is God at Christmas? I mean, surely, surely if God, surely if God has the power to, to move the heart of an emperor to accomplish his will, that he has the power to pull some strings so that Jesus can have a more comfortable place to lay his head. Why? Why so much discomfort? The reason that Jesus came to this earth as a child, the reason that he came in poverty as an outsider. So it's so that we will get really a major point that we see throughout the New Testament, that we see in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's that the Messiah of the world is called to experience rejection and alienation. And he's not simply called to experience rejection and alienation. He's called to 
experience the rejection and, and alienation that we deserve because of our sin and because we have been sinned against. I think it's amazing here that Jesus is wrapped in strips of cloth and in comparison on the cross, he is stripped naked and he has no cloths. I think that it's amazing to see that here Jesus is rejected by the the people of Bethlehem, that he's forced to be born in a barn And at his crucifixion, he's rejected by the Roman and Jewish authorities, and he is dragged outside of the camp, and he dies on a cross. And Jesus does all of this. He embraces poverty. He embraces meagerness. He embraces lowliness so that we who are rejected by God because of our sin, as we place our faith and trust in God, are forgiven of our sin and exalted to the highest of places with him. Jesus was rich in heaven for all of eternity. And he humbled himself and became a man, put on human clothes so that we who are poor spiritually might become rich. We read these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, for you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor. So that through his poverty, he might become rich. Jesus did not come his first time in his incarnation as this powerful warrior king that we see in Revelations 21 to uh, undo all injustice. Because if he had, he would have had to undo all of us. Because it is our sin that separates us from God. The God of this universe chose to do and undo what the first Adam did. He chose to become a man, to live the perfect life, to die the death that we deserve, to absorb all of God's holy and righteous wrath so that all of our sins would be placed upon his shoulders and that we can be forgiven for past, present, and future sins, adopted into the family of God, justified by faith and made right with God. Oh, I'm so glad that he came lowly and meager and weak. I'm so glad that he cared enough to to travel 42 generations to live as one of us. I'm so glad that when the Pharisees and the Sadducees tried to trip him up and to make him fall and to make him sin, that he stayed his course. I'm so glad that that when they whipped him with that cat of nine whip 39 times, opening up his flesh and beating him to death, that he didn't call the angels from heaven to wipe everyone out. 
I'm so glad that those nails didn't discourage him and allow him to lash out. I'm so glad that the the crown of thorns that were placed on his head, that pierced through his brow, that allowed blood to run, did not allow him to run away from his divine call. Jesus, he came, y'all. He came like he came to do what he did. He did what he did so that we might be who we are. He came like he came, virgin born. To do what he did, live a perfect life, die and rise again. He did what he did so that we might be who we are, children of God. No longer objects of wrath, but now objects of mercy. Perhaps the reason that there was no room for him in the end was so that we could dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The poverty of Christ invites us to examine our hearts this Christmas. And the first way that invites us to examine our hearts is is that if you are here today and you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior with humility, do it. The only way to come into the kingdom of God, to escape the emperor of Rome and enter into the kingdom of heaven is through a door that is low and cross-shaped. God doesn't just call his son to become a lowly, meager child. God calls each and every one of us to do the same. Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, he must become like a child. He must confess that he is a sinner. And that the wages of sin is death, Paul says. But the gift of God, the gift of God, the gift, the gift of God is eternal life. Salvation is a gift. We don't work our way to God. We can't earn his grace. We can't earn his favor. There is none who is righteous, no, not one. The only way to come to Jesus is if the Holy Spirit strips us of our grown-upness and allows us to become a meager child before the Lord, recognizing that it's only Christ's righteousness that makes us right with him. And if you have not done that today, I want to encourage you to do it. And I'm not talking about joining a church. Joining a church is important. That's important. It's like every basketball player needs to be part of a team. Every Christian should be a part of a church. But in the same way that everything in a garage is not a car, everyone who comes to church and is part of a church is not a Christian. A Christian is a person who has been regenerated is a person who is poor in spirit, who has been made to mourn, who, who has had an experience with God where they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of mighty. And I, I am an unclean person with unclean lips. They're, they're the person that God 
has touched and made clean. Is that you today? Have you humbled yourself as a child? Have you accepted the riches of God's grace? Have you seen the beauty of Jesus? Do you appreciate more than anything that the God of this universe who was sitting on a throne humbled himself into an animal's feeding trough so that you who were alienated from God is now made right with him? The poverty of Christ should also calls us to live differently as people of the book, as people of the scripture. It, this picture of Jesus should shape our hearts, should shape our minds, should, should, should be the picture of, by which we are pursuing in Christ, this, this deep humility that causes us to treat Everyone, difficult people, and, and even our enemies with mercy and grace should cause us to not wake up in the morning making demands like Caesar, but rather humbly submitting ourselves to God like Christ did in a manger. This humility rejects conceit by faith and by grace, rejects comparing and comparison, rejects vanity, rejects hoarding and materialism, and it, it embraces, by the grace of God, contentment and says, Lord, I just want to be like you. This Christmas, I want to encourage you, Sojourner, to let the meagerness of our Lord motivate us to love those who are suffering around us. As we gather with family tomorrow and this weekend, may we have a greater sensitivity to those who are suffering financially, physically, emotionally, and mentally. May we extend mercy knowing that Jesus came for the poor, for the broken heart. And may we pause not to see people as a problem to be solved, but as image bearers who need the love of Christ. Lord, let it be so. In 2014, Everett Patterson made a, a Christmas card and it went viral. As a result of this card, he ended up working for the gospel project as well, something that you may have heard. And this picture that he drew of Jose and Maria was motivated um, to show a, a different part of, of Jesus to his family and friends and to remind them that Jesus is a, a refugee. He was a poor person who had nowhere to lay his head. And that Jesus' people of all people, because of the incarnation, move towards those who are poor and broken, those who are disenfranchised, those who are mentally suffering with compassion, because we know that what we do unto the least of these, we have done unto him. I love this picture that he drew because it just shows two teenagers 
He re-envisions the story of the nativity scene and the the searching for a a home of Jesus by looking at two uh, refugees who are looking for a place to lay their heads. And they're at a gas station. And if you see it closely and Google it, you'll see all kind of biblical uh, allusions and inscriptions. And it's powerful to remind ourselves that had Jesus not come, and if he had come in modern times, he would have looked a lot, lot more like this than the way that we sentimentalize Christmas. I love what J.C. Rowe says. He says this, let us be aware of despising the poor because of their poverty. Their condition is one which the Son of God has sanctified and honored by taking it voluntarily on himself. God is no respecter of people. He looks at the hearts of man and not at their incomes. To be godless is disgraceful, but it is no disgrace to the poor. Wealth ruins far more than poverty. When the love of money begins to creep us, let us think of the manger at Bethlehem and of him who was laid in it, such thoughts may deliver us from much harm. And I just want to encourage those little people here today as you gather around trees and as you open up gifts tomorrow to be grateful for whatever you have. And to remind yourself that while giving and receiving of gifts is a great tradition, at the end of the day, Christmas is about the God of this world giving us the greatest gift that he could offer us, which is his son. And that through his son, if we place our faith and trust in him, we will have eternal life, which is the best gift that we could ever receive. And one day we will be in God's kingdom with God's son, walking on streets of gold, free of sin and sorrow. That is what we celebrate. And finally, giving God glory in the lowest is not only found in the providence of God, remembering that God is at work even when we don't see him. And it's not only in the poverty of Christ that God works in mysterious ways and in unexpected places, but It's that we ought to to praise Christ. I love how the story ends. In verse 8, it talks about how there were some shepherds in that region. And now it's important to understand that shepherds during this time were not seen as trustworthy people. In fact, they were considered outsiders. And I also think that this is interesting that the shepherds are in the region where, where Bethlehem is, the city of David, because we know that David was a shepherd. And that this child who is born is the one who had been prophesied of old who would sit on the throne of David. God has a sense of humor. And the first people that God reveals himself to are not the religious leaders, but shepherd, common men and outcasts which points to the grace of God. And the Bible says that the angel of the Lord appears to these shepherds who are in the mundaneness of life, just doing their regular duties. And that the angel of the Lord 
and the glory of the Lord just shone around them. And they respond just how Zechariah responded and just how Mary responded. When an angel came, they were terrified. And after them being terrified, the angel did the same thing that he's been doing all through Luke when he shows up. He speaks peace. He speaks a prophetic word. And he gives them a sign. So if someone says that they have seen an angel, you should ask them, were you afraid? (laughs) Did they speak peace? Did they give you a sign? (laughs) And did they give you confirmation? Amen. Glory be to God. That's the next title of a book. When you see an angel. Hallelujah. (laughs) But notice what the angel said. Don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. This is the message of Luke. That because Jesus has come, there is good news and there is great joy and it is available to anyone who places their faith in him. Today in the city of David, a savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. Look at the Christology, a savior. Luke chapter one, verse 47 Mary praises God in her Magnificat for a Savior, but Savior is linked to God. Here we see in Luke that when the angels use the word Savior, they mention Jesus because Jesus is God, and he is a long-awaited Messiah, and he is Lord, which means that he is in complete control and deserves all of us. I love what it says. It says, suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, you have one angel speaking a message. Then suddenly it's like the lights come on and there is a host, an army of angels singing a chorus. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. And then the shepherds run And they tell Mary and Joseph what they have received. And the Bible says that it astonishes them. And Mary treasures what they said in her heart. And then it says, and the shepherds left their presence, praising God for what they had seen and heard. The angels visited and said, glory to God in the highest. And yet it was the lowest of people, the shepherds who praised God. Because glory isn't just deserved in the highest heavens. It's not just deserved to be sung out in the heavenly place, but we can glorify God in the mangers that we find ourselves because it's there that God is present. As we wrap up and come to an end this year, I, as we come upon Christmas tomorrow, I... I dare you to praise God for what you have seen and heard. I dare you to take off the sackcloth and and ashes and, and by faith to praise God for what he has done for you. I dare you to glorify him for not only the salvation that he has given you, but, but the times this year when you didn't have peace and he provided peace. For the times this year when you didn't know how you were going to make a way, but he made a way. For the times this year when you were hard on yourself and beating yourself up and he allowed an angel to come and to speak life to you. I dare you to praise him. To praise him in the heavens 
to praise him in the highest firmament, to praise him for his excellent greatness. I dare you to respond like the psalmist. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Why? Because he is faithful. Because he is a mind regulator. Because he is the giver of joy. Because he is a bridge over troubled water. Because he is the balm in Gilead. Because he is a way maker. Because he is light shining in darkness. Hope to the hopeless. Bread to the hungry. I dare you to praise him. I dare you to open your mouth and say, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we praise you. Lord, we exalt you. We extol you because there is no one like you. And you have brought salvation to all people. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Soldier in Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.